Welcome to Real Talk Christian Podcast, where we drink coffee and have real conversations on faith, culture, and society. I'm your host, Chris Fuller. And I'm Mark Hyde. And on today's episode, we're going to be tackling kind of a sensitive subject I'm at this time. I'm scared about this one, bro. So uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the war going on in Israel, and is this the end? Bum, I don't bum, know. Bum. Maybe we should jump in and find out. Mark, you ready? Let's go. Let's go. Can I just say what a smooth intro by both of that us? That was I wonderful. Mean, it, it was good, bro. After so, people don't realize this, but uh, we haven't recorded in a very long time in a month. together. It's been about a month for us. So yeah, yeah, lots of things have happened in the past month. I was sick. I you was sick. I had were surgery. Yep. I've had other things happen that are uh, unspeakable and not full of glory. I had a. Did I, I think I told you about the bug I got. I got. T- I tested negative for the flu, COVID. Yeah, it was like strep, some, all the things. But you about died. I walked in on the third day. I had it. Second day. Yeah. Wait. Technically, the one, third two, day three. Monday because I got it Saturday night. So Monday, I went to the doctor. I had a fever of one hundred and four, and it was awful. And they were like, nope, and you were like. Things were coming up. It too, was right? bad. Oh, yeah. things were blowing everywhere, bro. <laughs> it, it it was bad. Well, things were blowing up. It's good to be back, and I'm glad that you, know, you are you, feeling. You know better. what? It blew up like it blew up like the Trojans' undefeated record that we just smashed this past weekend. Good old Notre Dame oh, kicking yeah. USC's butt. I mean, it's like a month after that, so it's yeah, it's, over. It, it, it's yeah, it's pretty much the end of football season now for for college. Yep. But uh, but yeah, yeah, we have not been together in about three, four, weeks. four, four weeks four or weeks, so since we weeks, last recorded. So we were like, like whenever we have a break, guys, it's always like, are we gonna are we gonna, are we gonna watch gonna, the ball? <laughs> how bad is this gonna be? How bombed? bad is this gonna be? Yeah, like, th- this is gonna be like either really good or really terrible. It's true. So to get started, I want to know: Did you know what that reference was that I made at the beginning? Like what movie? The bam bam. Bam! About the end of the world. Uh, you know what movie that's from? No. There's a movie, and they talk about the end of the world, and every time it says the end of the world or something is bam, bam, bam. The the no. The character's name is Belt. Who does it? Okay. And it's from the Crudes with Guy. Never seen it. Ryan. I think Ryan Reynolds is Guy. I've in never. The Crudes. I've never seen the Crudes. The Crudes, Crudes too. I, is I stupid. Know, I know. But Crudes one is fantastic. I, I can picture the cave people that you're talking about, but yep. I've never seen it. So Guy, he has a bell, and it's like an animal. It's a pet, and it always goes bam, bam, bam. Whenever they talk about the end of the world is coming. So that was my little Easter egg that you did not know that okay. reference. Okay. So I just you know that's you a very, need to watch the Crudes, it's a very, bro. It's a very common like sound for like. That's true. Like when That's things have fair. gotten bad in like the old Batman movies or like the Grinch is like dun dun dun. That's fair. That's so, fair. I'm but you know, I, I just assume that's what you were referring to. But, but I'm, yeah, I'm a I grown got, I'm a grown man child. So that's where my brain first went. Straight up the crudes. <laughs> like, no, that was, was cool. But, but so, yep, anywho. So what else has been okay. I'm so excited to get into this banter why, portion. Why about you are so excited about this one? Because I have been pushing and pushing for so long, and you just told me some information right before we hit record. Mark, what did you just tell me? We're expecting baby number nine. Wait, what? <laughs> no, we're not. No, we are not. Beth is no. like, I will kill you. <laughs> we are not pregnant. We are not pregnant. 
Beth we, will kill you. We made sure we are not pregnant. <laughs> Picking up on I'm putting down. No, so you guys know we have drank Tacoa coffee here on this a podcast lot. a lot over the last, what, what has it been, six months something or like so? That. Yeah, something like that. And so Beth and I, we found ourselves up in the, you know, you know, like Granger, Mishawaka yeah, area. Yeah, yep. in that in that general and vicinity. And so we, we were up in that area, and I'm like, I want some coffee. You want some coffee? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I think Tacoa's around here somewhere. Mm, yep. And so we found Tacoa. Oh, oh, it was... um. Oh, it was against Ohio State because Beth and I went out for okay, brunch. Okay, so three weeks ago. We went to Uptown Kitchen yep, yep. because uh, Metro Diner had a massive line there. Yep. And I was like, let's get some coffee. So we went and got some coffee, and we were like, I think Tacoa's around here somewhere. Yep. So we finally went to the one and only Tacoa Coffee Shop. I, ju I just had you to. love your pad so I, much. I do. So, I do. So I went to the actual Tacoa, and so I walked in, and you know, I, I placed in my order. I normally uh -huh. get Americanos if I sure. don't just want coffee because sure. um, my my tummy's a little sensitive to milk sometimes. Get, so oh, you know, so I do like Americanos or, or coffee, and I got sure, a sure, sure. latte. Yeah. And so you know, you know, I'm just talking with the guy. I'm like, yeah, my buddy, he loves you guys. He talks about you all the time, and he goes, "Who's your buddy?" Wait, are you the other podcast guy? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So Dang it. you have a reputation with the owner. J well, Jim? I mean, no, no, uh, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff is his name, yeah. Jeff. And so you have a reputation so strong that once I said, my buddy loves you guys. Who's your buddy? And he hears my voice okay. and goes, you're the podcast guy. In all fairness, every time I go in there, he recognizes me. And we okay. always end up chatting for at least a half hour to 45 minutes every single time. Yeah, I was in there about 20 minutes just chatting while Beth was in the car. Always. It always happens. If he's there and I'm there, we're chatting. Like, we're just going to sit down and talk coffee and talk Jesus. That's what we're going to do. It was phenomenal. It was it, so cool. It yeah. was so Because, I, I mean, I have all the information I get from him about his ministry and what he hopes to do with it. Right. It's all secondhand. But I heard it straight from, you know, the horse's mouth. The horse's mouth. And it was awesome. Are we blurry? Uh, wait. No, uh, yeah, a little oh, bit. Oh, man. You screwed up. One job, I just, hang, hang on. Keep, wait, wait, you he, keep talking about his so, ministry. So, yeah, anyways, so, yeah, Tacoa Coffee, he uh, he is inside a, a uh, what is that? It's, it's like a furniture shop. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, sorry, you two. We're a lot more crisp now. Crisp, like crispin. You can see the fact that I'm growing a beard right now. It's it's getting there. It's, it's getting go there. You know what? And and maybe in ten years it'll look like this. <laughs> yeah, look like the Fuller. <laughs> but anyway, so 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 they're like in a co yeah. not a co op, but like it's kind of like a co sharing space where it's yes furniture and interior design and well, then the coffee so, shops on the other side. Yeah. So if you did, I don't know if you knew this, but his son has done a bunch of stuff there. And so what it is 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 a place where that builds furniture, <clears throat> but they host and the people that build the furniture, uh, some of it's Amish made, but a lot of the classes are for people with Down syndrome. And so I did not know that. That's what that place it, it helps people, kids, and and families that have kids with Down syndrome, and, and that's so his son has Downs, and they that's why he wanted the coffee shop to draw in more people in there to give it more notice because they would be drawn to the coffee shop, right? And so he's trying to draw more notice to the business to help the business out so they can continue to help more Downs kids. That's pretty dope. It's really cool. I did man. not know that yeah, part because he didn't talk about that part no, at all. It's it's pretty awesome, though, isn't and it? And so I got Americano. Yep. One of the best Americanos I've ever had. Mad, I think Madcap is still one of the top dogs. I keep telling you, Tacoa for this area is a good coffee it was, place. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was excellent. And so Beth got a latte, and she said it was one of the best lattes she ever had. I'm just saying. And so the other day, you know, like I was, I was, uh, was I coming, I was coming back from downtown South. Yeah, I was coming back after picking up Bavon because we didn't have the big family van for two weeks. Because that's three. Thinking, I thought it was three, it was three weeks. Yeah, three weeks. We have, it was week of my surgery. Yep. So we haven't had it for three weeks, and it visited three different mechanics. And the third one, um, we thought we were going to have to put a whole new transmission in. They just fixed a 
hose and saved us like seven grand. It was so, awesome. You know, the big thing was is that Mark's been on the street corners panhandling for the basically, towing fees. Basically. <laughs> Actually, no, they towed it free for me this time. Awesome. Because Fred's were like, we got you. I'm like, I don't think you know how big this van is. And it's, then they got big. they towed it over and they're like, Yeah, it's too big. I'm like, I told you. It's so a, they towed it somewhere it's else. It's a big in. So, but anyway, I was driving back. It was just me because Beth was off, you know, picking up the kids, and I'm driving down McKinley, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna stop and get another Americano at Heritage Meeting House, yeah. which also sells Tacoa because I want to meet yeah. some more Tacoa. That's what they use. They it use was Tacoa. not as good as the actual Tacoa, though. But that's the, the but, all the coffee they use is... To, is and that's why a, I stopped in because right. I wanted to pop in. And I'm like, yo, it's a library and a bookstore and a coffee shop. And it's a bit... Like, like it's it's a it's a weird spot, but it's in the perfect it's, spot because it's so close to Bethel University. Right, right exactly. There's it's tons a good study of college place. students, It's man. a good study place. It's a vibe. Yeah, yeah it's a vibe. Yeah. So we've been talking about Tacoa all the time. And so if you want to support a ministry that's here local in Michiana that's doing a lot of cool work, which I did not know with the Down Syndrome community, but yep. also in the Christian sphere as yep, well. Right. You know, support Tacoa. So you can just Google them like Tacoa. It's T A. It's in our show notes. Oh, it, it, it is. I, it's in every show notes. So if you just Click go, the link. whatever you're listening to right now, just hit that drop down menu. And at the very bottom, it'll have Tacoa's website and you can order online for yourself. So needless to say, you are correct, Fuller. Tacoa was banging. Tacoa was banging. Now, I am not drinking Tacoa tonight. What are you? Wait, what are you drinking tonight? I am still drinking off of our listener sent Phoenix Mexican. Remember that? That was sent like a month <gasps> and a half ago. That crap was good. It, it's the last of it. I've been that ba- crap was so I, good. It is good, and so I've been babying the tar out of it, but not like really putting tar on a baby. Um, yeah, please don't do that to <laughs> Lennox. He already has a heart problem, bro. D- bro. He's a little roly-poly cutie yeah, pie now, yeah. man. He's got so many. He was, hanging out, he was hanging out with me all day today. Beth was on a field trip. Yeah, he's so cute, man. Anyways, so, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. What are you drinking, Mark? So, you know how they say nothing good comes out of Kalamazoo? Yeah. Well, I found something good that comes out of Kalamazoo. Say what? Besides my brother-in-law. <laughs> I think my brother, my sister, well, not so much, but Whoa, my brother-in-law, you know. Easy there. He's, my Shot brother-in-law. fired up across the my brother, our, our resident Catholic friend, Joe. Our, our, <laughs> our joke. Our Catholic friend. Yeah, we love Joe. We love you, Joe. Um, he's from Kalamazoo, but I got some Kalamazoo Coffee Company decaf because your boy is tired of waking up in a panic attack and anxiety. So, worst part of waking up is a panic attack. Panic attack? Panic panic attack? A panic attack in your cup. There you go. So I'm drinking st- the Kalamazoo Coffee Company, which I didn't realize how cheap they were. Like I was at Martin's and, you know, I was picking the, up some groceries. And Martin's I'm like, got it going on, and man. I'm like, I really just need decaf because we do half and half of the house and I'm just right. about out. And I'm like, man, Kalamazoo's good stuff and the beans yep. weren't burnt. I mean, it's decaf, so it's always a bit of a medium to darker rose. Yeah, yeah. And it has that bitterness, but it's a different bitterness than just it's a normal. Mi- it's a mild bitterness yeah it's kind of like a, okay this is tolerable it's not the best decaf i've ever had but it's not bad it's not the worst but again it's also local so right. i'm down with and you yeah. know me you know me i'm always down with local yeah. so i'm drinking some kalamazoo and i got some mango bubbly that um the one and only janelle fuller bought she goes for me she goes uh i just want to let you know does mark one bubbly i said yeah absolutely and she goes i bought three different kinds Tell him he's got a choice. So thank you, Janelle. I love mango. <laughs> so I'm down for mango. Yeah, but yeah. we got a review to read before we, we jump do, into we this episode. And it is a long one, but not as long as your show notes that you have for this episode. Because yeah. we got a banging doozy. But we're going to blow through them. That's <laughs> true. It's a, it's a doozy. Get it? Because it's a war in Oh, Israel that's blow. bad. That's too soon. <laughs> that's too soon. Yeah, there's some long show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that button. All right, so this review is left from us by Rockford Schaefer called Edifying and Uplifting back on June 2nd. It's a, oh, bro, he spelled my name right. 
That's because you talk about it. Mark with the C. People still spell it wrong all the dang time. But he didn't mind wrong. Because it's, oh, Mark and Chris. Who's Chris? I don't know who that dude is. I don't know. But so Rockford Schaefer says, Mark and Chris are two well-spoken men that ain't afraid to talk about the issues that even the church won't talk about today. I listen to them 12 hours a day. I am so sorry. While I'm at work. I decided it was better to put on something uplifting in my mind than listen to music throughout the day. They have been very, they have been very educating and sometimes challenging. Oh, thank you. They've been very educating and sometimes challenging. They are very good about bringing God's word into their conversations and not just basing everything off of their own opinions. Although there is a lot of that. That's true. And then people, you know, comment on things because I apparently make people mad. Anyways, that's right. Um, They have encouraged me to move on from my quote unquote, lukewarm Christian life Mm. and always feel like I didn't understand why my father died. But seeing Mark go through the exact same thing and still chasing after God is something I want to relate to. I can relate to both of you because homeboys, steel worker and it's a good and it's good to hear it from someone in a similar situation god bless you both y'all been a blessing well dude mr schaefer yes thank you sir you are a blessing and you know what we appreciate you and 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 glory be to god and we want to give you a mini swag bag so, so if we read your review on air or if you leave a review and you haven't heard it yet just send us an email real talk person podcast at gmail.com and if you have not received a mini swag bag and you've asked us one we've fallen behind a little bit. So if you haven't received one yet, just be like, yo, uh, I'm supposed to get one. I haven't got so, one yet. And just let us know. It's been kind of crazy the past month. And so, yeah. and actually we had an issue with Evernote where I put a couple people in and then Evernote like went back and retroactively took them out. And yeah. Put Cause it wasn't in my notes either. And so, Janiel asked, yeah, Janiel asked me about it too. And I pulled up and I'm like, what the heck? I know. And I can't find them now. So if in the past, uh, from September 1st, to when you're listening now, if you haven't got it yet, if you, requ- if you requested a swag bag and have not received it, please reach back out to us because, or a Bible, or a Bible, because I think there was one in there for a Bible too. Uh, something happened with our Evernote and we lost everything. So, uh, which is where we compile the list for Janine. But so. either way, thank you guys who leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is not the only place you can leave a review. You can do one on Spotify. And Spotify, man, I haven't checked how many ratings we've gotten over there. Let, let's see. Spotify has still 1.2 thousand ratings on Spotify. So thank you guys for all you do. Man, we are at the 15-minute mark. So I think it's time for us to get into this conversation. All what do you say, good right. sir? Uh, as soon as I'm done here putting this in here. Oh, so also, uh, while you're putting that in, and I already made a comment about the time, Sabrina, I started watching Madam Secretary again. So I I, I got some Madam Secretary oh. references in my back pocket. Oh, so oh, oh, okay. Well, that has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about today. If but you don't know, we're talking about the bingo board for you, Sabrina. <laughs> All right, let's jump into this. Bingo. So, obviously, Israel has been, you know, kind of a hot topic lately of what's been going on over there with Hamas. Time of recording. Things are going on. And in the the political sphere, it's more of just political upheaval. And then who's right? Is Palestinians right or Israelite? Does Israel have a right to be there? Do Palestinians, are they terrorists? There's all these fights going on. But in the Christian world, there's been slightly different conversations. Yeah, the conversation that's really been taking place in the Christian realm is... Is this the sign of the end? Is this the beginning bum, bum, bum. of the seven-year tribulation? And uh, there's been a lot of questions and conversations happening over in the Facebook group, yep. uh, Real Talk Christian Podcast community page. So uh, get your butt over there. Which is where this really came from. It, You know, a lot uh, this week it's been mentioned several times with everything going on. You all need to talk about what's going on over between Israel and Hamas. Well, we figured we'd tie in kind of everybody's conversation into one and kind of, we're going to go somewhere with it. Yeah, that. it's so hard to just talk about 
what's happening. Because like I've listened to every like all sides of the argument. Sure. All I mean, I've listened to pro Palestinians, pro Israel, conservatives, liberals, Republican, Democrat, people who live over there as missionaries and not. And I'm like, there, there it is. I just choked on my coffee. There it is. Just choked on my coffee. Welcome back. And but it's like everyone's saying something different. And I'm like, I don't know what direction to take this. And you're like, I got you, boo boo. Yeah. And you so got a fun direction to take this out. It is going to be fun. But yeah. So I mean, so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm sitting. A Indian lot of people have have one. mentioned uh, when they're talking about this. Is this the Matthew 24 six through eight um, fulfillment? Are we seeing that come to place? Uh, what's that passage? The 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 Matthew, Ma- Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse where Jesus was telling his his disciples when oh, they asked. It's, it's in our show notes. I yeah, should have just it, looked. It's, it's right. I should have it, just looked. It's it's right there. My bad. My bad. Anyways, it's where Jesus is telling uh, his disciples asked three questions. So here, basically, let, let's give a little context for this. So okay. chapter 23, the Pharisees are like, basically, Jesus had just drove out the money changers in the temple, oh, well, the, yep. the the Pharisees, Sadducees, are all upset, and they're, they're he basically Jesus says, uh, you know, I'm gonna tear this this temple down and rebuild it in three days, and yada yada, and they're like, oh, the King Solomon took all these years, and you know, all this time that took for it took 49 years for for the second temple to be built, and yada yada yada, and so they're going through all this, and so they leave this argument that Christ just like totally slams the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, hey, I'm gonna destroy all this, and. The disciples, beginning of chapter 24, verses 1 through 3 of Matthew, uh, the disciples, they walk out of the, the temple, and, and the disciples point out, look at all these you know magnificent buildings and the temple and yada, yada, yada. And Christ says, uh, I'm going to destroy this. I'm, this is all going to go away. There won't be one stone left upon another. And then they go up to the Mount of Olives in verse 4, and while they're on the Mount of Olives, they ask three specific questions. Uh, when will these things be? Uh, what is it? What, when, when will the... Uh, when will these things be, what will occur, and what will be the sign of your coming, I believe, is the three questions that were asked by the disciples. Which is the kind of questions that we still ask today. Exactly. So so we're going to dive into um, eschatology, which is the study of the end times, but we're not going to go in-depth. We have other episodes where we want more in-depth with these views. So we're going to do kind of a quick pass-through, and then we're going to lead into some of the conversation of things going on and what we should be doing. So Matthew 24, uh, 6 through 8 says, uh, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. So that verse has been quoted a sickening amount of time in the past two weeks. Like, this is it. This is the wars and rumors of wars and yada, yada, yada. You know, these are all the things that must take place and, and Christ is coming soon. Um, there's also a lot of other um, discussion surrounding like, okay, and we were talking about that yeah, upstairs before the, the episode. Heifers. <clears throat> so last year, about a year and a half ago, um, uh, Israel or the, the, the um, Israeli Institute uh, of the Temple, the, the Temple Institute, I think is what it's called, uh, they have procured five red heifers. And if you don't know what a red heifer is, the red heifer was uh, to be sacrificed and sprinkled over the temple when a uh, desolation or desecration of the temple would happen. It would The red heifer was used to cleanse the temple, right? So that they could cleanse it. So like in the Maccabean Wars, after what's-his-face, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, came in and sacrificed a pig on the altar, and that set off the Maccabean Wars. Uh, after they won, the, the Maccabeans won the war, they sacrificed red heifer and cleansed the temple with the blood of a red heifer. 
So that's important. But there's also been several other things, like uh, the Euphrates River is drying up at an astronomical rate. Actually, yep. scientists are predicting in the next 20 years, within the next 20 years, the the Euphrates River will be completely dry. That's so wild. A lot of people are referring to, I believe it was Revelation 16, where it talks about the Euphrates River dries up so the kings of the east can come forward. And, and so people are like, oh, that's going on. And then there's, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> oh, the Temple Mount, uh, you know, is the only thing that's holding the, uh, the Israel back from building an, uh, the third temple or a newer rendition of the temple because if you're Israel, you believe it's just a continuation of the temp- of the tabernacle into the first temple and the second temple. They don't call it tabernacle, first temple, second temple. They mm-hmm. call it the temple. That's just that's the way they refer to it. It's God's house, the temple. Um, so this would actually just be a, a fourth rendition, but it's still the temple in their mind. Um, but they've got cornerstones picked out. They've got the furniture made. I actually watched a video two weeks ago of the Levitical priests. They have Levitical priests that have been practicing all the ceremonies, rituals, and all that stuff that were singing and practicing songs that were sung from Psalms mm. in the temple back in the day, and that they have all traced their lineage back to Aaron. So they are and official so they are, Levitical priests who correct. are being you know, that's raised what, in the Levitical priesthood. That's what they've claimed, that they have held on to their family records, even at the destruction of Jerusalem after, uh, in 70 AD, when they were dispersed throughout all the nations in the Holocaust. They have retained their records and have been able to trace their lineages back wow. to the line of Aaron and that's the Levitical cool. priests. So these are the Levitical priests that are practicing all this stuff now. So there's a lot of things that it's like people are getting excited about, and they're like, look at all this stuff that's happening. We're coming up on the end times. So... With so much going on in the world today, are we drawing closer to the end times? Is Israel at war with Hamas a sign of the season? Is the tribulation about to start? And what should we do? These are kind of the questions we're going to go through a little bit and talk about. Oh, there was also the other thing of the word Hamas. This one, just, this one Janiel just sent to me the other day. I don't know about this one. So Rabbi Joseph, uh, Jason Sobel, and I forget the other guy's name, they have both looked at the word Hamas. And if you look at the ancient Hebrew and take it back, it actually refers to where in, in Genesis six eleven, where uh, God looked upon the world and saw that there was great Hamas, and Hamas means violence. There was great wickedness and violence, and the mm. same word that was used for those was Hamas. And so they're saying, they're look at the Hamas. This is Hamas now, and Hamas of of, of uh, Genesis chapter six. If you remember, Genesis chapter six was the beginning of everything that was going to go on, where God was going to destroy the earth with a flood. So they're starting to tie those together. Some some of these oh, uh, messianic rabbinical I didn't know teachings. that one. Yeah, so that's the one that I just found out. I mean, yesterday. I know back in March, Israel signed a new seven year treaty with UK for trade or something like that. People are a lot of times we're talking about the, the, the seven year deal they made with Egypt back in the day. Yeah. So there's always these different points. They're, they're talking about of, like that. There's a, what was it called? The Abrahamic covenant. Was it? I think that was what it was called. Uh, that Trump signed that, that peace treaty, the Abrahamic, I think it was the Abrahamic like deal where it was supposed to be like this big piece, the biggest peace treaty that had ever happened. That happened like three and a half years ago or something like that, four years but ago. But a lot of people are starting yeah. to freak out because, you know, and battle lines are being drawn too. And a lot of people have this conversation of, oh, we need to be pro-Israel. Then there's other people who are saying, no, we're not pro-Israel. So is this a sign of, you know, the the different powers that happen in Revelation that we see too? And so a right. lot of people are, I, I think, are, if, if not freaking out, at least asking the question of, 
like what you said is is this the end of are, are, are we in the birth pains right are we about to start labor like right. is this baby coming out yeah. like are, are we like like earlier on in the centuries was it like easy easy labor and now we're in like hard contraction, like now it's like, time like for re- like revelation yeah. be showing up like 30 second contractions apart kind of labor type thing like a push push don't push wait the crowning here like all that crap but uh before we can get in that i think it's imperative because there are so many different perspectives on end times on the rapture on the millennial views. Um, a matter of fact, I brought in just six quick overviews, like one little sentence of there's six different positions of yeah. the rapture. And, and before you go into those, I mean, the, the, the main reason why I think it, you're, I think you were really wise to bring this in is the fact of based on how you interpret the book of revelation with the rapture of millennial kingdom is how you interpret what's happening over right. there, now, including exactly. down to now we'll get into this later, potentially, but like, you know, covenant theology or, there's also replacement theology that we right. talked about. Dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. Historical dispensationalism. Does Israel even have a part to play in the future? Some people right. say no because right. the church just became Israel or right. or that the church is part of the spiritual Jews and the physical Jew doesn't really matter as much anymore. It's about God's physical, spiritual family. Right. So who cares what happens over there? It's just what it is, what it is. But other people where it's like, bro, here we go. Buckle up. And, and there's going to be Revelation some, be happening. There's some shocking things for people that have never studied other people's eschatological beliefs, Ooh, right? Of, that fun big word. Of, well, yeah. I mean, I've been doing a lot of studying it. That's why. Uh, <laughs> but so there's, you know, what I would attribute to uh, the easiest six-point rapture take and a three-point millennial take. And, and rapture are, is the pulling out of the saints the, before the millennial reign. The catching away. Well, not necessarily. Well, not necessarily, so but... The, it's the catching away of the saints to Christ. Yes. We're going to leave it with that. Okay. And so, uh, depending on what you believe out of these six points, and these are not, there's other views out there, but these are the six main ones, right? So, number one, very it's the most common amongst evangelical Christians today. And it actually is a teaching that was really profound by uh, Darby in uh, the late 1800s, and it's called pre-tribulation rapture. Mm-hmm. So and it made popular by the Left Behind books. Exactly. Well, and 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 the Chosen's dad, Jerry B. Jenkins, uh, Dallas Jenkins' dad, the guy who wrote the Chosen. Oh, I never so, made that connection. Yes, sir. What? So the guy who wrote all that and made it popular. Well, there's another reason yeah. why we can't trust the Chosen. I'm kidding. As I'm wearing he, a Chosen hat. I know people hoodie. give people <laughs> give the Chosen way too much crap. But uh, anyway, continue. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, this view maintains the rapture occurs when Jesus comes secretly to gather the church prior. Uh, to a seven-year great tribulation that precedes the return of Christ to earth. So this is pre-millennial, which we'll talk about it. So this is before Christ's reign here on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is mid-tribulation. This is a this is similar to pre-tribulation view, except that it locates the rapture after the first three and a half years at the point when the Antichrist assumes power. So this is seven years of tribulation, three and a half years in, the abomination of desolation, and the Antichrist assumes power. That's when mid-trib says, hey, we're going to be out of here. The church is going to be raptured. It's mid-rapture. Uh, mid, I say mid-trib. Mid-tribulation rapture. I'm trying to make sure I say everything. So the next view is a pre-wrath rapture position. So this position argues that the rapture will occur toward the end of the tribulation, but before the outpouring of God's wrath at the end of the opening of the sixth seal and the start of the seventh seal with the trumpets and bowl judgments from Revelation 16, uh, prior to the return of Christ. Again, all three of these are like pre-millennial views. So mm-hmm. this is all. So if you think about it, um, so pre-tribulation, there's a, you'll hear about it, the seven years of tribulation. So the rapture happens before the seven years of tribulation. Mid-trib, it's three and a half years in. Pre-wrath is it's 
sometime in the second three and a half years, not necessarily at the midpoint, but not at the end either. Yep. But some point in that three and a half years, second half, uh, after the six seal is done being open and, and things being accomplished before the seven. Right. Before God pours out his wrath, wrath. he pulls his people out so Correct. that they don't inflict the wrath too. Correct. So, And then there's your boy's view. And then there's post-tribulation view. This view sees the rapture as occurring simultaneously to the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. So uh, that is a that that's always been uh, at least for the past fourteen hundred years that's been kind of the um, most popular view. I would say um, a combo. So there's there's another view called it's like historic post trib, and I yes. I haven't put too much study into so that, that one, one falls. Because Will Suarez texted me about that. That one, one falls a, a lot into um, a pre wrath post trib partial preterist like hybrid. Which is that's kind of where I find myself. It's kind of the like all three. Yeah, I would, I would, from talking with you, I'd consider you more of a historic post tribulationist. Yep, because I see that seems to be your. I don't know my 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 interpretation is I don't know what's going to happen, but I know Jesus only is going to come back once, and that's it. Yeah, and so yeah, another term of that was is called um, the already not yet. Yes, like the the, I like that word, like the that. There, the things have looked like they've been fulfilled, but there's a greater there's a fulfillment. Big, there's a greater fulfillment. That's so, how I view right. most prophecies. So, yep. so that's a historical. That's a historical pre-trib or post-trib view from my from my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing, number five, is a partial preterist view. Uh, the view that most of Revelation has occurred and that all of the Olivet Discourse has occurred at the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. This leaves just the uh, this just leaves Christ's return to happen. So they're like the um, like Revelation 20 through 22, that portion of it. Uh, and the rapture is us meeting Jesus here on earth, that they they say that the, well, most partial predators say the atmosphere. When we talk about being caught up, it's it's the word, whatever the Greek word is for atmosphere, which there's more yeah. air down here than there is up there. So it's actually us meeting him on this earth, on the ground. And that's where I'm, back. that's more where I'm at, to be honest with so you. So that, that's a partial preterist view that, yeah. that everything that's happened except for the return of Christ. So there is no, like the tribulation is done. The Antichrist has already been has already come. They they attribute that to Titus um, back in the uh, the great Jewish wars, the Roman Jewish wars mm. back in the first century. So a full preterist view is the entirety of prophetic scripture has been fulfilled in seventy A.D. at the destruction of Jerusalem. There is no rapture. The nature of the millennial reign is allegorical, and Christ will come again when most of the world has turned to Christianity. Like so, all the world has turned over Christian. There is no evil. Evil has been phased out. And that's when Christ will return. And that's the only thing that will usher in the kingdom of God. You know, so basically the world will get better, not worse. The wild thing is when you got all six of these theories, people sometimes are more, have a stronger opinion towards one or the other. Mm-hmm. But I know in your reading that you've done a lot recently and then reading that I've done, I would, let's just be honest, more so in the past, there are, for lack of a better word, historical Christian juggernauts in each one of these six mm-hmm camps mm-hmm. so i could tell you, know? you they, they they say um they're so basically one through four is called a futurist view mm-hmm. that's the pre-trib mid-trib pre-wrath post-trib that's called a futurist view a preterist view is the obviously partial and full so um uh, 
you have these two different camps, basically, like his, it's historical preterism, like things are already done, and futurist things are to come. Those are the If you want to separate two camps, that's two camps. And so when we're bringing to this conversation, if you believe that everything in Revelation already happened, we're just waiting for Jesus, right. this war in Hamas against Israel is has just, no bearing. It's just sad. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's not it's good. Exactly. Now, if you're a futurist, then you're like, okay, now I'm looking forward. Now, the interesting thing is that in the first four centuries— Polycarp, Ignatius, all, you know, so if you don't know who Polycarp is, he was a direct disciple of St. John. Uh, uh, Peter. St. John. Polycarp was John? John. Yep. What? Polycarp. I'm, I'm looking this I'm pretty up. sure I that's what it I just was read. Peter. I'm pretty sure, yeah, if my, if I, my memory serves me correctly, I believe it was John. And then Ignatius was a, uh, a disciple of Polycarp, if my memory serves me correct. And the first dang it, yeah. See, I just, dang it. I just did a bunch of reading. Oh, it was Peter, dang it. And the past three weeks, I've read a lot. Dang so. it. Okay. Um. So over the the first four centuries, the uh, most of the church, most not all, but most of the early church fathers held to a futuristic point of view, and and that's where they stood in the first four centuries. So I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. As a, I don't know. Uh, there's a book out there. <laughs> I hate to get off my notes and do this real fast. Let me pull my Kindle open. Uh, if you want to know more about it, nope, you don't want to read that book. <laughs> That's my kid's book. Well, like, that was a kid's Christmas book. That was it. it but yeah, it was, it's uh, Shiloh's favorite. It's called um, Rediscover Early Church Pre... Oh, man, dang it. Uh, Rediscover Early Church Premillennialism, Premillennialism, Teachings of the Early Church Fathers of on Prophecy. I've got it on my Kindle, and so that's where I... We'll add it wrong. to the show notes. How about that? We'll Anyways, add it to the show notes. So um, that's where I'm getting a lot of this information from on on the early 4th century stuff, the early 4th century uh, church fathers and what they believed. And it that gives you everything that they believed. Now, there are other early century church fathers like Augustine, who um, was the pioneer... Him and Origen were the pioneer of allegorical method yep. and a preterist view. Yep. So there you go. You have both views, a futurist and a preterist view, in the early church. In the early church, I'm just going to leave it at that. So I, that. And even today, in the people, conservative evangelical camp, you got D.A. Carson, who's a preterist. You got Douglas Moose in a different camp. You got MacArthur, who's in a different camp. You got Piper, who's in a different camp. R.C. Sproul's a preterist. You know, you got so, Tim Keller in mean, a different camp. Yep, I mean, right. so you got these John guys MacArthur, who I mean, you got, are yeah. all. But what I wanted to rate Christians, wanted, why I wanted to bring up that book and and those guys is just simply for the fact that at, at, even in the early church, so some people may have never heard of some of these terms like preterism before, but even in the early church, this was a, a point of discussion. I won't even say argument. No, discussion is a better word. Yeah, so, discussion is a better so word. So don't feel lost, stupid, or anything like that if you have. People go on, well, that's a crazy thought. And it's like, well, no, now you have some back and be like, well, in the early church, they believe this. You know, if you're a part, if you're a preterist, you can say Augustine and Origen. If you're a futurist, you can say Polycarp and Ignatius. So, I mean, you know what I mean? It, <laughs> you can go either way. But anyways, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell too much more on that. So we're going to pop into millennial reign, right? What is the millennial reign viewpoints? And there's only three of those. Okay. Um, so. We've gone through six different raptures, but that doesn't necessarily mean where you're going to fall in the millennial reign Correct. category. Yep. 
um, necessarily, unless you're uh, a couple of them, but we won't go into it. But so there's three different uh, three different views on the millennial reign. There's premillennialism, amillennial, or amillennial, depending on how you want to pronounce it, and postmillennial. So premillennialism is the doctrine stating that after the second coming of Christ. Christ will reign for a thousand years over the earth before the final consummation of God's redemptive purpose in the new heavens and the new earth earth of the age to come. So Jesus will literally reign on earth for, for a thousand, thousand years, years while Satan's bind. After the thousand years, he'll be released. Battle of Armageddon. Jesus right. goes, yeet, and then it's over. Yeet. <laughs> yeah. So there's that fear. There's a millennial or a millennialist, and they interpret the millennium as describing the present reign of the souls of, of deceased believers with Christ in heaven. They understand the binding of Satan as being in effect during the entire period between the first and second comings of Christ, though ending shortly before Christ's return. They teach that Christ will return after his heavenly reign. So basically it's saying that the millennial reign, when Christ ascended to heaven, he began his millennial reign in heaven, and those who die reign with him. Those old saints are reigning with him in heaven, and that uh, Satan is bound during this time. Though there's evil on the earth, Satan himself is bound in, in the pit, and that is right before Christ returns to set up the new heaven and new earth, Satan is released for a short time, and then Christ returns. Is, is that more post-mill, though? Because I thought on-mill was more just a fact nope. of, it just it is what it is, and post, then it's over. Post-mill and on-mill are very close, but there's a slight difference. And let's, right. let's talk about post-mill, and maybe you can catch it, right? Cool, cool, cool. So post-millennialism holds to the view that Christ will return after the millennium. As with on-millennialism, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, the terminology falls short. It's strictly a chronological sense. The amillennialists and postmillennialists agree that Christ returns after the millennium. In fact, amillennialists, wow, I'm having a hard time, uh, were known as postmillennialists until the 20th century. Postmillennialists oh. generally agree with amillennialists millennialist interpretation of Revelation 20. The two agree the millennium is figurative, not a literal thousand-year period, and that it is a time in which the gospel is preached through the world as Satan is currently bound. They also agree on the general course of events in the end times. When Jesus comes, then the general physical re resurrection of the righteous and the wicked occurs, followed by the final judgment and the culmination uh, culminating with the new heavens and the new earth. What distinguishes postmillennialism and amillennialism is not the timing of the second coming in relation to the millennium, but the nature of the millennium. Whereas a millennialist ex uh, expect the church to experience both victory and suffering simultaneously until the second coming, postmillennialism maintains a gradual end to much of Christ's suffering before Christ's return. I'm sorry, the church's suffering before Christ returns. They expect a golden age of righteousness on earth, the millennium, in which the church experiences increasing, uh, increasing po uh, prosperity and great influence on the culture. This golden age is what the postmillennialist understands as the millennial. So that's where. Gotcha. The world okay. gets better and becomes Christian, and then that's the millennial reign here on Earth. That's the golden age. Gotcha. Okay, so out of all these different views, we got three different views on how the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus works. We have the different views of how the tribulation works, mm -hmm. and the big culminating factor is how you understand how the end time is going can dictate how you interpret the events that are happening now. Correct. Like that's basically the that, argument with that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so you talk about Israel and the war in Israel, and um, depending on your view, right? Are you are you reading everything in literalism, allegorical, 
figurative, poetic, prophetic, I mean, apocalyptic. How, how are you reading the scripture? Because there's arguments of, over what John is doing, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not saying, well, I'm going to just take this passage, and I know John was meaning it this way, but I'm going to change the meaning to this way. That's not what anybody is doing. What they're saying is John is writing this in a poetic way. And some people are going, no, John is writing that in a literal way. And some people are going, no, John is writing that in an allegorical way. So you see, that it's, mm-hmm. it's, they're looking at the same scripture. And even the way John writes, you could say John wrote in a literal way, but it was for the people at that time, right. not so, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 so, years later. Yeah, so we can go back and forth, and there has for obviously 2,000 years been, mm-hmm. been going back and forth, and nobody has been able to solidify, and everybody agree. Nobody's been able to do that. Nobody's ever agreed fully on what it means, at least not that we know of. Nope. So uh, what does any of this uh, have to do, and why does it, does it actually, any of these views fit on what's going on? Well, yes, you know, some of them could, depending on your view. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds um, like it wars, rumors of wars, Israel being attacked. Is this right. part of the Antichrist coming to, you know? But, I mean, it, it could, is this the end of the end of the world? Is this the time? Well, they've been thinking that since the or New Testament writers. I mean, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, not not in the future days, not in the post days, but in these last days, so they thought the last days were happening as the writing, the, the writer of Hebrews, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. First uh, Peter 4, 5 and through 7 says, uh, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to all the uh, all those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Now, are you saying, Chris, are you holding to that, pr- that preterist view that we just heard about for the first time? I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm just telling you, from the early church to now, there's in every generation they have said, the end draws nigh. Prepare yourself. Be sober-minded. Be looking out. Every generation. And, you know, we get that from Jesus with the, the parable of the, you know, the wedding with the lamps and the people who ran out of oil in their lampposts and they ran away. They weren't ready. The feast where it says, well, go get anybody on the street, invite them in. You see the Apostle Paul, even in the, the letters to the Thessalonians, saying, you know, keep your eye on the horizon. Now, Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night, but it could come at any time. Right. You know. Right. And so, you know, basically... Um, we should, and then why I brought all that up is we should always be prepared as if today is our last day on earth, right? And we should choose this day whom we're going to serve and how we're going to serve him and how we're going to submit ourselves to him because we are not promised tomorrow and, and we can't worry about tomorrow. And we're going to talk about that later, but we can't worry about tomorrow. Today has its own worries, right? Today is the day that, that we should choose and do what we can to, to serve the Lord. And, you know, when we think of what we see what's going on in the world right now, now it's a little different because we have the heifer involved. They're sure. getting the temple worship together. There's now, a lot of th- cool things going on. Now, again, again, it goes back to your view in Revelation. Right. If you're like, if, if stuff's already done, like they're just going back to how they did worship. That's all it is. It's no big deal. The right. other people where it's like, oh, oh, snap. Or, hey, yeah, okay, they're doing all this, but it may never take place because they got to have the temple mount. Exactly. Good temple mount. Yeah, that. good luck getting that back. <laughs> but, you know, there's been so many times, it seems like, throughout history that people are always trying to say, this happened, so therefore Jesus is coming back, and then this right. happened. I mean, I remember sitting in the Sunday school class, dude, and he literally took all the events in all of church history and over the course of like four weeks and said, this war was this bowl, this was this seal, and basically what he was arguing was the fact of all these different things equal different parts of Revelation, and we're at the very end, right. which is you know kind of more of the post 
mill type right, thing, but they're right. reading history into it, what's going on. But, you know, the, the, the question that I have today is if we think this is the end with all that's going on, have there been other points in history, though, that also have given glimpses into, oh, maybe that was in their time, like, oh, like, like yeah. you know, I don't know, like 30 years ago, where it's like, oh, man, this is the end times. Like, we're living in it because all these things are happening. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about a little bit before uh, before we came down to record, uh, mm-hmm. you know, bo- both views, futurists and and preterists is, is basically the two views um, that we're going to separate today into groups, uh, have, have both got strong arguments on both sides. Yep. All these views have strong arguments, and they all have weak points. They all have holes, yeah. Every last one of them that I've studied has a weak point somewhere. And so we talked about it a little bit like, okay, if you're, if you're, if you're a preterist, right, everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, right, full or partial, everything was fulfilled. But then you got that scripture, that verse in Matthew that talks about um, in those days, uh, it will be, a, I forget, a great terrible tribulation as was not seen as before. Never seen before. Uh, it has not been seen till now and will never be seen again. And so you're like, hey, hey, like, are things worse than then? Right. Especially because you had the Babylonian exile, which is probably worse than when the temple was destroyed. Right. But then you look at history, right? And if you're, <laughs> if you're reading scripture and putting it and placing it with history and looking at the, the accounts of Josephus, man, so much of the language just... From Revelation to the Olivet Discourse and First and Second Thessalonians, it just all lines up. Everything jo- Josephus, who was a Jew, not a Christian, a Jew, a staunch Jew who was not a Christian, but a Roman Jew at the end of his life, uh, was giving these accounts and it was lining up with Scripture. And you're like, wow, that is like, how do you how do you say it's in the future if you're looking at that? So that, you yep. see what I mean? There's two big holes. And then there. you also got like you know the Holocaust, like. Right, like, you know that's been the biggest destruct or the biggest killing of Jews in right. all of history. So well, that's, no, not all of history, but well, from modern history. What, at a least. Lot, what a lot of preterists would say was that that at the culmination of seventy A.D. was the wrath poured out on Israel and the judgment poured out on Israel, which is why they were destructed and dispersed. Their destruction happened and they were dispersed. Right, mm-hmm. and so. Um, if you look at the the siege on Jerusalem, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, there was one point one million Jews killed, but in the Holocaust there were six million Jews killed. So. Is it the worst that's ever happened and ever will happen? Or is it just or the fact it, of God removed himself from the temple and therefore it was or is it not, the, happen? not the destruction of how many numbers of people, but the right. fact of you lost the Holy City? Or was it a yes and not yet, already yep. and not yet kind of thing? Welcome so, to our heads. Welcome to the eschatological view. Anyway, so have we seen things like this before? You know, natural disasters talks about if we go back to our our, our main verse, there are going to be wars, rumors of wars. Uh See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but and it's not yet. So, right, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places, all these events. So, let's talk about natural disasters next, right? So, have there been natural disasters? There was a lot in, in the 70 AD and surrounding that heavily in Israel because of the wars going on. But what there was also some other ones like uh, 1900, the great Galveston storm on September 8th, 1900, a storm swept through Galveston, an island off the coast of Texas. At the time, Galveston was one of Texas's biggest port cities, but a hurricane with 140 mile per hour wind swept it off the map. It is estimated 36,000 houses, 600 businesses were reduced to rubble across 1900 acres, according to the Texas Historical Foundation. Although it remains unclear exactly how many people perished during the hurricane, the final death toll was estimated between six and eight thousand, one sixth of the island's population, according to the foundation. So we see a big old hurricane and come and kill a bunch of people. The wild thing is, is this hurricane happened in between the Civil War and World War One, right? So you're also hearing 
rumors of wars right. and actual wars. Right. So it's yep. finding itself in the midst of And all there's of famine that. going on and there's yeah. the Black Plague and everything else that's been going on over the last hundred years leading up to it. And so you got all these things going on. So what else? We got uh, Mount Tampora or Tambora eruption. When, and this is like, we're not even going to talk about Ma Mount uh, Vestuvius, which in the first century erupted and mm. totally wiped out Pompeii or yep. Mount St. Helen or any of these. But Mount Tambora eruption, when the Mount Tambora volcano in Indonesia blew its top on April 10th, 1850, it was the climax of the largest eruption in recorded history. It's estimated that 36 cubic miles or 150 cubic kilometers of exploded rock blasted into the atmosphere and could be seen as far as 808 miles. Well, when the rock goes up, it's got to come down. Wouldn't that kind of sound like rocks coming to the earth like hail? That would be terrible. I mean, you know, so it's like, oh, is that prophetic language? The explosion expelled so much volcanic ash in Earth's atmosphere that it reduced the amount of sunlight. It did. It, it caused the, the darkness the in darkness the day. The to cover the earth, yeah. Uh, uh, the amount of sunlight reaching Earth's surface. As a result, the temperature in the northern hemisphere at the time fell by one degree Fahrenheit, according to the NOAA, and 1816 became known as the year without a summer. Record Records indicate the eruption caused 11,000 immediate deaths uh, from pyroclastic flows, fast-moving uh, solid lava, hot gas, and ash, and a further 100,000 people died from food shortages, famines, over the preceding decade caused by the reduction in the sunlight. And I, there's got to be deaths, too, or th because of the smoke inhalation, too. You oh, know, yeah. Like, there's well, got to be. Oh, yeah, 100%. And whatever disease came from all that, from no sunlight, vi lack of vitamin D3, and and. and on and so forth. So we see a, a one one volcano erupt, and at least recorded as a hundred and eleven thousand deaths, and a whole year without a summer, and all sorts of famine and uh, food shortages, and all that stuff that happened. The sun being blackened out and and losing sunlight because of the thick ash in the sky. Rocks falling down for a hundred or eight hundred and eight miles. I mean, that's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty big event. Uh, so let's go back to 1839. So if you notice, we're, we're talking within a hundred year span here. So 1839. Oh, the American, the, the, the Mexican American war. I'm like, there was a war that happened right around that time 18, too. 1812. 1812. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, so, uh, Cor, Cor, uh, Coringa, Coringa cyclone. I can't remember how to pronounce this. I, I listened to it earlier and I was like, I'm not going to forget it. And then I forgot it. Um, and 1839 uh, cyclone changed Cornaga in Southern India forever. In the early 1800s, this city on the coast of Andahara uh, Pradesh was a bustling port, according to the University of Rhode Island Graduate School of Oceanography. Uh, but on November 25th, 1839, an enormous tropical cyclone or typhoon hit Corrigana, uh, causing a 40 foot high or 12 meters storm surge. Much of the city was wiped off the map and approximately 300,000 people drowned. Corrigina was never rebuilt to its former size. The destruction of Corrigina gave rise to the term that now describes both hurricanes and typhoons, cyclone. According to the URI Graduate School of Oceanography, a British East India Company official named Henry uh, Piddington coined the term after seeing the damage to the once busy port. So we have all sorts of natural disasters causing all sorts of stuff. And we still see them today with Katrina and uh, the tsunamis over in Indonesia. Right. So then we also, like you were saying, we saw War, World War One. We saw World War Two, which we're about to talk about. And War of 1812. 1812. Civil so that, War. All within 100 years, all over the world, there was all sorts of cataclysmic uh, destruction that happened due to uh, wars, and famines and all sorts of other stuff that looks very much like apocalyptic language. Like mm -hmm. you could, you could interpret it 
as, hey, John could have meant this. So World War II, World War II is a global war, right? A nation rises up against a nation, kingdom against kingdom. See how this, how you could pull in this terminology that spanned from 1939 to 1945. The war pitted the Allies and Axis powers uh, and the Axis powers in the deadliest war in history, and was responsible for the deaths of over 70 million people. So 1.1 in Jerusalem, 70 million in this war. Known for its genocidal campaign against the Jewish people, the war was also responsible for the deaths of more than 50 million civilians. That's wild. We're talking about crazy numbers here, especially during that time where they didn't have 6 billion people on the earth. Uh, The Qing Dynasty conquest of the Ming Dynasty. This was a crazy war that happened. The transition from the the Qing Dynasty to the Ming Dynasty was anything but peaceful. The rebellion waged for over 60 years from 1618 to 1683 and resulted in the deaths of 25 million people. What started as relatively small rebellion in northeastern China ultimately resulted in one of the country's deadliest conflicts as well as one of the deadliest wars in history. Mm. Um, A Lucian Rebellion. uh, The Lucian Rebellion was a rebellion against the Tang Dynasty of China between 755 AD and 763 AD. So that's only 700 years after uh, the the Jewish-Roman War. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although it is difficult to accurately report the death toll, census report taken the years following the war implied around 36 million people were killed and about two-thirds of the population of the empire. So it's crazy, a lot. crazy to see these amounts of people from these wars that have died because of these wars, along with you tagging in during these times, certain of these times, like, okay, the World War II, the, the 70 million people will tag that into all those natural disasters that happened around the 100 years and how much it decimated the and, population. And you haven't talked about the, you know, the Jewish-Roman War yet, but we right. also haven't even accounted for the Black Plague. Oh, I know. And all these other different types of deaths that we dealt with the entire... There was, Mark, there was so much out there. I had to just pick and choose some. <laughs> <laughs> because this this episode would go on for days if we went from from the time of Christ to now with all the famines and natural disasters and wars that have happened and how many people have died it would have taken days of recording for us to cover all the information. And we're not doing that to you guys. And we're not doing that. But the last one I wanted to talk about is very, very near and dear to every preterist or post-millennial or millennialist, right? And so I wanted to bring it, I wanted to get it a fair shake as much as I could in the time allotted. Now, remember, Josephus' Antiquities book is like that thick. It's like a thousand pages, and there's a couple hundred pages just on the first uh, Jewish-Roman war that happened between 66 and 73 AD or CE Common Era. So uh, it ended uh, with the destruction of the second temple, right? That was what really uh, culminated the end of it. There was some skirmishes here and there. Masada uh, was the last one to fall in 73. Yep. Uh, so there were some different things that happened. And, then, and we see that through the, uh, what's what's the, the Roman arch? Is that the Arch of Titus? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yep. Okay. Or something yeah. like that where it shows the, you right. know, the Jewish temple. <clears throat> Right. Worship elements being dragged off the room. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so it ended with, the, you know, the majority of the war ended, other than the last couple of skirmishes that happened, ended with the destruction of the Second Temple, which stood on the Temple Mount and the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, legions under Titus besieged and destroyed Jerusalem, looting and burned Herod's temple and Jewish strongholds, notably Masada in 73, and enslaved or massacred a large por- uh, part of the Jewish population. This contributed to the number of, Numbers and geogra- uh, geography of the Jewish dysphoria, as many Jews were scattered after losing their state or sold into slavery through the empire. 
Estimates of the death toll range from 600,000 to 1.3 million Jews. There was no room for crosses and no crosses for the bodies. Over 100,000 died during the siege. And I think uh, Josephus says 1.1 million. So, and almost 100,000 were taken to Rome as slaves. Many fled to areas around the Mediterranean. The Romans hunted down and slaughtered entire clans, such as descendants of the House of David. On one occasion, Titus condemned 2,500 Jews to fight with wild beasts in the amphitheater of Caesarea in celebration of his brother, Domitian's, who was the leader after him, uh, his birthday. So this all happened. And, and if you look, I don't know if anybody caught this, but this war took place, and this is what Preterists would say, this is the seven years of tribulation because it happened over seven years, 66 to 73 AD. That's a seven-year mm-hmm. period uh, with with 70, the destruction of the temple happening three and a half years in. Uh, so that's where they start tying in a lot of the stuff from Josephus into the prophetic language. So there's that. I wanted to make sure to mention that to give to give that perspective. Yeah, give some context it, of history. Yeah. Right. And just give that that perspective some, some validity. Uh, I don't think that anybody can say that their point is... Uh, invalid or they don't have good points and and good thought process behind it. it's well thought out uh, belief system and uh, I think if anybody who wants to be a student of eschatology for real needs to go and study that position just so they can understand that position they may not believe it but they should at least understand it mm-hmm. all right so uh, we've got all this this cataclysmic stuff that happened all these wars all this stuff that happened which which lines up a lot with some of the stuff that we're saying we're seeing uh, through through revelation through the Olivet discourse and 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 okay so we've seen it happen before so how does that tie in today and is there is there a tribulation that we should really worry about you know the great tribulation because we see that 70 AD wasn't the worst of the worst in the entirety of the past 2000 years of what right. we've seen but you know but to them the tri- living in it but to me you know we haven't talked about any of the tribulation which isn't that like like the tribulation could either be god's wrath being poured out in judgment on the earth or if you take like a uh, post mid or uh pre-wrath view um is it the persecution of man on the church right and mm-hmm. so i wanted to be able to give that perspective a good fair shake too i'm sorry i'm trying to give every perspective a, a decent foothold and shake within a time frame within a time frame so uh should the church worry about persecution if there is tribulation well and i think that's the big question people have is should i worry about persecution so i mean there's there's two scriptures that that we can christians are almost guaranteed to go through tribulation right and tribulation is typically man um persecuting the church that's what it is. And that's what it's always been. So Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute and cute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is in gr- uh, great in heaven, uh, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, did anywhere in there did it say persecution was going to be a fun time? Nope. Okay. I just want to make, cause some people, there was a belief system like, Oh, you could only get into heaven if you were uh, a martyr. If you went through if it. You, yeah. If you were a martyr, that's the only way. So that was an old, uh, early, earlier church, 1500, 1400 century or 14th century, 13th century. I can't remember somewhere in there. That was a belief that unless you were a martyr, you were not going to get a, a seat at the table basically with God. You might get into heaven, but you weren't going to have a seat at the table like mm. b- before the throne. Um, 
but it doesn't say that in there. It just says you're blessed, right? And be glad and rejoice. Yep. So James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what is the purpose of persecution? Why does God allow us to go through it? It builds endurance, right? That's what it's for. That's what it is. It's not something that we all want to go through, but we shouldn't like be scared of it, in my opinion. So let's talk about some persecution, right? Because was the 70 AD thing, was that the persecution that was to come? Was that the judgment that was poured out? That Was that the great tribulation? Has the church been persecuted? I think everybody knows that the church has been persecuted, but I wanted to bring in some things here. Uh, one, uh, They both really come from the Open Doors, but one is from the uh, the Open Doors USA's actual figures, and then one's from the Gospel Coalition that quotes uh, the Open Door USA's actual figures from last year. So let's go through these real fast, and and we'll try to start wrapping up the conversation here soon. Okay. So the group, I'm sorry, this is, I told you it was going to be a lot of blah. A lot of notes, <laughs> my dude. Uh, so the group Open Doors USA figures that 360 million uh, Christians last year lived in countries where persecution was significant. Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered, more than 6,000 were detained or imprisoned, and another 4,000 plus were kidnapped. In addition, more than 5,000 churches or other religious facilities were destroyed. This was uh, written this year, so this is talking about 2022. So if you want to know, is persecution still happening to the church and Christians and brothers and sisters? We may not be experiencing it, whether you live here in the U.S. or in Canada or in some of these European nations where we don't see it as much, but it is real. Hmm. So uh, the Gospel Coalition of this January 19th of this year says, last year, 5,621 Christians were murdered, 2,110 churches were attacked, and 4,552 Christians were detained because of reasons related to their faith. Here's what you should know about the 10 countries with the highest levels of persecution and how you can pray for the believers in those nations. So again, all quotes are from the 2023 watch list in this one. So one, North Korea, uh, primary persecution type, communist and post-communist oppression, estimated number of Christians, 400,000, how Christians are suffering across the year, open doors, contacts heard from reliable sources that several dozen North Korean believers from several underground churches have been discovered and executed more than a hundred members of their families were also said to have been rounded up and sent to labor camps. Um, we'll get into the, to the prayer aspect later. Somalia, uh, they're an Isma Islamic and clan oppression. Uh, estimated number of Christians is hundreds. So Christians and Muslim back are Christians of Muslim background are most vulnerable to persecution. Converts from Islam to Christianity are regarded as high value target by El Shabaab militia, and many converts have been killed on the spot whenever discovered. Young female converts to Christianity are particularly vulnerable. They are oppressed and exploited both on grounds of their faith and their gender. Young Christian girls are forced into marriages in which they face sexual harassment, physical violence, and pressure to adhere to conservative Muslim practices and attempt to rehabilitate them mm, that's sad it is so yemen number three this, this is this is just the top 10 this is what this was my this heart. past year and this is just this year uh, yemen primary persecution type islamic and clan oppression there's a few thousand christians there the population is overwhelming muslim and it is illegal to convert from islam to christianity <clears throat> yemen is strongly tribal and tribal law prohibits members of the tribe from leaving yemen Christian converts are at great risk of being killed, not just ostracized or expelled by their family, clans, and tribes. Uh, the next one is Eritrea. I had never heard of this place before. Yeah, I never heard of Eritrea it. Eritrea is a Christian, denom Christian denominational prote protectionism. Huh. Uh, estimated number of Christians is 1,709,000. For 20 years, Eritrea has only recognized three official Christian denominations, Orthodox, Catholic, and Lutheran. 
and closely monitors these churches. Over the years, government security forces have conducted hundreds of house-to-house raids to catch other Christians. There are thought to be 1,000 Christians indefinitely detained in Eutrian prisons, not officially charged with anything. Some leaders of unofficial churches have been imprisoned in terrible conditions for more than a decade, including solitary confinement and tiny cells. So it's crazy that a Christian nation, if you're not one of those three Orthodox, Catholic, or Mm -hmm. Lutheran, you're going to jail indefinitely. Uh, Libya, uh, Islamic and clan oppression, 35,400 Christians. Libya is effectively a lawless land where both native Christians and those passing through from other countries face extreme violence with no central government to maintain law and order. Uh, militant Islamic extremist groups and organization, organized crime groups both wield power. They target and kidnap Christians, and some believers have been killed. Nigeria, Islamic oppression, 100,420,000 Christians. I did not realize there were that many Christians in Nigeria. Yep. So the violence is most persu- uh, pervasive in the north, where military groups such as Boko Haram, ISWAP, um, and Fulnani uh, militant inflict murder, physical injury, abduction, and sexual violence on their victims. Christians are dispossessed of their land and their means of livelihood. Many live as internally displaced people or refugees. Pakistan, Islamic oppression, 4,194,000 people are Christians. Pakistan, notoriously blasphemy, notorious blasphemy laws target religious minorities, including Muslim minorities, but affect the Christian minorities in particular. Roughly a quarter of all blasphemy accusations target Christians, who only make up 1.8% of the population. The number of blasphemy cases is increasing, as is the number of Christians and other minority religion girls being abducted, abducted, abused, and forcibly converted to Islam. Mm. Number eight, Iran. So this is where it's getting a little close to Israel. Islamic oppression, 1.245 million Christians. When people from Muslim backgrounds become Christian, they can only meet in secret house churches. They are at great risk of being monitored, harassed, arrested, and uh, prosecuted for crimes against national security, an accusation that is notoriously poorly defined and can be abused. Iranian house church leaders and members have received long prison sentences involving physical and mental abuse. Afghanistan. up there. Yeah, thanks. Afghanistan, thousands of Christians, uh, Islamic theocracy imposed by the Taliban. The Taliban's takeover of the power in August of two, uh, two, 2021 has forced most Christians either further underground or away from the country entirely. Many, if not all, house groups closed with believers forced to uh, leave behind. Uh, they, most of the house groups closed with believers forced to leave behind everything they own. More than a year after the Taliban takeover, any promise they made about recognizing freedoms have proved to be false. Following Jesus remains a death sentence if discovered. And lastly, number 10, Sudan, Islamic and clan oppression, 2 million Christians. Uh, social attitudes towards Christians have not changed. There is especially the case in areas outside of the capital, of uh, whatever that word is, Qatarum. Katarum, I think is the, I don't, know. Yeah, I don't know. Christians are still vulnerable to extreme persecution from both their communities and their own families, particularly if they are converted from Islam. Converts may face sexual assault and domestic violence in their homes, as well as vo- being vulnerable to imprisonment and violence. The government hasn't put a real protection in place for Christians or other religious minorities. So that's just the top 10 countries that, that U.S. Open Doors or U- Open Doors USA has has put on their list so bringing this into today's conversation what 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 are these numbers telling you so what we're looking at is you're talking about the great tribulation and and the church has always and will continue to always be going through 
persecution or a tribulation type. Mm-hmm. Whether you believe that the Great Tribulation happened in 70 AD or this is where the Great Tribulation is to happen, it should be known that you should not fear tribulation. You should take joy, kind of as joy, because it's going to produce endurance in you. Um, Christ is going to bless those who have gone through this persecution. Um, but it is also something that I do not believe is going to go away anytime soon. So to fear it, I wouldn't say to fear it, but to expect it. So that's where I would draw it into today's conversation with, with everything going on in Israel and Christians being in Israel. I would say, uh, whenever God's people, whether you believe God, Israel was God's people or is still God's people, however you believe at one point they were God's people. I believe they still are God's people, his chosen people along with us. They were the vine that was hewn off or the branch that was cut off, but they could be grafted in as Christ said. So don't hold yourself high above them because he could cut you off just as easily as cut them off. Just like he can graft them in just like he grafted us in. So, uh, it's always going to happen. If we go back to Abraham, there's always been contention between uh, the the children of Isaac and the children of Ishmael, and mm-hmm. that's going to continue on as a generational curse, in my opinion, of Abraham and his lack of faith. And when you see the persecution of the Christians today, I mean, you know, these are numbers are not even including the ones in China. They're not including the ones in other countries. Again, and there's so much. You there's get so it much. And there's so many other places. Now, granted, you know, America, sure, people claim that, you know, Christians are being persecuted, but it's nothing like what it is overseas in so many different areas. But when we see these Christians getting persecuted, a lot of people will see this and wonder, are we currently living through the tribulation because of the amount of Christians being persecuted? Right. Which that's where my brain goes, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Sure. That's where my brain goes. If we're, all these Christians are being persecuted all over the place. We have Islam, which is a direct, I would say... It's antithesis. Is antithesis the right word? I'm not sure. It's the perversion of God's promise. Correct. There you go. So <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of Christianity. Right. And, you know, Islam is taking over. A, I'm trying not to get too political, but it's a fact of when Islam takes over an entire area. They're the fastest growing religion in the world right but, now. Cr- but once they take over a country, as we've seen, like with the Taliban and other places, Christians are target number one. Right. Because it's just so con I mean it's so contradictory to the to the Islamic message. And I want to point out that, that not infidels. all people that are of the Muslim faith are uh quote unquote extremists. No, in the same way okay, that I there's just, people in the Christian world that are extremists that we want them to go away too. Right. Yeah. I call those the crusaders. Yes. Um <laughs> but and, and so, right. So right. yes, there are people who are peaceful loving Muslim, right. I get that, and I respect that. Right. That's that's okay. And, and in America, it's a freedom of religion. Right. So if there are Muslims here and they're building mosques, they have the same right to do that as we do to build churches. Right. That's yep. just a statement I make. And I, w- I would refer you guys to go back if you want to hear more about our views on uh, how much uh, the U.S. government should be involved. Go back to should we kick or should we allow God back into school? Oh, that was a fun conversation. <laughs> that, that was a fun we, one. We dive into all the freedoms behind America. Now, if you're living outside of America, you can go ahead and skip that one because it won't. You, you, it doesn't even matter for you. <laughs> yep. Okay, so when we picture the whole thing of the tribulation and Jesus coming back, you know, there are the elements of if we believe it to be future, the Temple Mount needs to be restored to the Jews. They have to restore temple worship because that is a pinnacle point of the millennium and Jesus right. won't come back until that. You also have the other ones where the fact of the world's getting better and overly Christian, which is true when so many of these countries yeah, if you, if you Christianity look, is still growing. If it's you persecuted, look, but it's growing. If you look compared to first century, second century, third century, fourth century, fifth century, there are way more Christians and the gospel is being spread at a more of an astronomical rate than ever in history. And it's mostly in Asia and Africa, which is wild. Sure, but it is growing like 
like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Like daisies are popping out of the ground. Exactly. Like so, so there is that, right? There, there's that if you want, if you're in that view. Yep. If you're in that camp, you could make an argument for that, right? Yep. So, and, but basically, what, what at least what I'm trying to communicate based on, because you and I are definitely, I mean, these are facts that you pulled out here today. Right. When we see this, we have to understand a couple things of the fact of A, Persec- like you said, persecution has always happened. Mm-hmm. Now, will it be greater? Will it be less than? That's for you to, I guess, to determine based on what you see number wise. Right. But we see even Jesus telling the apostles, you will be persecuted. The right. apostles, you know, according to Christian tradition and church history, besides the apostle John, were all killed right. for their faith in different places. You see, you know, persecution always happening. You see wars always happening rumors or wars you see these things always happening so so i know for me what i tend to do is not go oh it's coming it's coming coming oh that was just a screw up it's still coming for me it's more the fact of i i I am more so wrestle with okay we see all this stuff happening so how do i keep my mind focused on the fact that jesus is coming back right when it feels like he should have came back a thousand different times right and that's where baptism and communion come in, which I right. taught that to the kids at at, at uh, Elkhart Christian, the fact of whenever we take communion, we're telling the world we're following Jesus, but reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back. Right. And so when we try to interpret what's happening there overseas, we need to understand first about how we believe the end times are going to work. We also mm-hmm. need to understand, though, that wars have always happened. Israel's always been attacked. Other people have always been attacked. Is this a sign of the second coming of Jesus? Or do we, like, this is what my opinion is, What do what the Apostle Paul said to do throughout the letters of First Thessalonians, where he said, you know, we believe, it doesn't flat out say it's First Thessalonians, but we believe because the Apostle Paul says, he who doesn't work shall not eat. Mm-hmm. We believe that there are so many people in Thessalonians that believe Jesus was coming back. So they just said, screw it. And I'm not going to do that. They I'm were working, they were sitting there just waiting. But what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, keep your eyes on the horizon for Jesus, but work with your hands, l- mm-hmm. seek to live a quiet life. Romans 12, seek to live at peace. Uh, it's, uh, seek to live at peace with one another as much as it is possible within you. Right. And then also raise your family, love Jesus, tell people, share people about your faith. Basically, do what you're supposed to do, but never keep your eyes off the horizon. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I want to I want to kind of bring it down into what, what are the things we should be doing today, right? With everything going on, you know, depending on your eschatological view, you could be saying this is nothing, or you could say, hey, this is something, or and 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 that's great and that's fine. But to what you're saying is is it's okay to study, it's okay to watch but we shouldn't become idle with our hands while we're watching. And here's another thing too, is don't let these things become idols that control yes, your life yes, too. Yeah. Right. You know? right. No. Yeah. So don't, don't hyper-focus. Right. Yes. So what should we be doing right now? One, we should be praying for Israel. Right. Okay. Right. So, so if we look back this comes from, uh, Got questions. Our friends at GodQuestions.org. Good old friends. God's eternal purpose is to bless the world through Israel. Although he has done this in a measure for salvation is from the Jews. John 4, 22. Talking about Jesus coming to the Jews. Uh, But the uh, fullness of future blessing is indicated in the wondrous promise of Isaiah 27, 6. In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the earth or the world with fruit. The declaration that salvation is from the Jews suggests our immeasurable debt to Israel. Right? Not saying... It, it, we're, we just indebted Israel because of Israel and, and following God for as well as they could. Christ came through it. And that's really praise to God of that. Uh, all that we have worth having has come to us through the Jews. Our Bible is a Jewish book and our savior is a Jewish savior. Let us never forget to pray for God's chosen people. It is true that Israel today is in a place of rejection. The nation is secular, unbelieving, 
as to the claims of Scripture and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, nation. But at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, Romans 11, 5. Uh, some Jews are being saved and becoming members of the body of Christ through faith in the Messiah. Jews are, biblically speaking, the chosen people of God and dearly beloved by him. Another reason for Christians to support the nation of Israel is because of the Abrahamic covenant. We read of God's promise in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and, I will, uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So we see that the earth has been blessed through him, but it, I don't think that the Abrahamic covenant with God and him goes away. I think as we continue to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse them, you know, he's going to continue to do that and speaking to the people of God. But, right? you know, but, but, the, but I also know gotquestion.org. I believe, I'm not sure if they're preacher or preacher, but I know they're pre-mill. So sure. they also believe that there's another place for the Israel in the story. Sure. Too. But what I'm saying is regardless of their, their eschatological view, that promise, that Abrahamic covenant of, of blessing God's people, I didn't say Israel. I said mm. God's people. Blessing those, God will bless. Cursing those, God will curse, right? So if you look at the world, how is the world getting better when they persecute Christianity? No, they're on their way straight to hell. But those who are working with Christians are usually becoming saved, and that's a blessing for them because the blessing came from that Abrahamic Well, covenant. even like our friend's little Jesus neighbor Christ. down in Paraguay, the government's working with a Christian organization to eradicate right. foster care. But think of the blessings. Which is, which is nuts. Think of the blessings that a, a nation that is following or at least helping Christians, um, they tend to have... Um, laws and and things where their their society is just in a better place, right? I'm not saying a Christian nation. I'm just saying nations that follow a Christian line or are at least supportive of Christians tend to be a little bit better of a place to be. Mm -hmm. Those who are anti-Christians are typically a little worse, and we see that through all the persecution nations of the 10 we just talked about. Yep, and if you want more resources on that, this probably won't be in the show notes because I'm just off the top of my head, but uh, the historian Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, <laughs> Not Spider-Man. Not Spider-Man. The historian Tom Holland has done so much work on the fact of the entire Western civilization as we know it hinges on the Christian moral, right. Christian morals and Christian ethics right? because yeah. of what Christianity has well, done. Well, and just think of all that. You know, we want to have hospitals and stuff like that. Hospitals that, that and education. Has, and has, that, has that been a blessing or a curse? That's been a blessing to a lot of people, including you and I. Yes, sir. And so... To me, that's where I think that the Abrahamic covenant, no matter how you view of Jesus in the future or the past, is still a blessing because when you when God's people are are being helped, God is blessing the society through that, right? And then when there's persecution towards God's people, then there is typically a downfall in that society. That's mm -hmm. where I, that's why I wanted to leave that in there. That's why I led with that. I like it. So uh, the second thing we should do, we should be praying for Hamas. Oh, what, but why? What? What? The, but the, why? Wait! 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 You said what, Fuller? Pray for Hamas, the, but, but, Palestine, but wait why? a minute. All right, why should we pray for Hamas? We should pray for our enemies and that salvation may come to them. Uh, and we must also love our enemies. But, I mean, think about Am it, I, right? But here's another question. Is, is, is Hamas our enemy? I'm asking. Well, are, are they our enemy? Yeah, because they are anti-Israel and anti-America and anti-Christian. It's death to those three groups of people. So they are they are our enemy, but not because we have made them an enemy, because they have made us an enemy. There you go. So 
Uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, this is Christ speaking again, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and the, sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing that's out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So again, love your neighbor, right? That's what we're supposed to do when we're being persecuted. We're supposed to love. You know, it's it's the, that old... Uh, it's that old saying, do, do good to those who don't do good to you kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, you, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar kind of thing, you know. But, but we should be praying for Hamas and that God does a miraculous thing in their lives and brings salvation to them. And, and that's what we and We should be loving them so much, just like anybody. You know, if, if you don't like the political figure in office, you should be praying for that political figure that that Christ reaches them and that salvation comes to them, or or for that warlord, or for that you know tribe and that uh, that uh, Taliban and the terrorist group and all that, which is what Hamas is is a terrorist group. Um, those are the groups that we should be praying that God reaches with salvation. Those are the groups that need Christ the most. Because they have totally rejected Christ. Totally, 100% rejected Christ. And they are following the enemy of God. They are enemies with God. And those are the ones we should be loving and presenting the gospel to in the best way we can. And with this whole situation, you know, I think we need to make sure we keep the focus, too, of the fact of it's okay to grieve what's going on, Oh, too. 100%. You know, because you got innocent so women sad. and children and men. So sad. And they're blowing each other up. They're, you know, hospitals are getting exploded. Right. Schools, I, I don't know if schools are getting attacked. But, you know, you got people who are dying over power struggles, and it's something that we should grieve, and, and I believe grieves the heart of God, too. 100%. And so I think so many times we're so quick to point the finger at— Now, I'm not saying that— we need to look at Hamas as not bad guys or look at people who are, you know, trying to blow people up as, oh, they're just okay. They're just, they're, they're going through some things. It's the epitome like, of evil. Right. It's <laughs> evil. We need to, we need to detest evil and yes. cling to what is good. Right. But we should grieve the fact that there are people who are either a, so committed to cause that they're killing themselves or other people, but also these people that literally are finding themselves in the middle of war zones. And yeah. it's, it's, a, it's innocent a, bystanders. It's a place that us as Americans have been very privileged not to have to deal with. Right. Especially in our time. I mean, even the civil war, the American revolution, the French revolution, world war one, world war two, I mean, people were always finding themselves in the middle of war zones. Right. We've never been in the middle of a war zone. I mean, we sure we we've lived through nine eleven. Sure. We have lived through other domestic terrorist things. Pearl Harbor. You know that there's been generations. But us personally, bro, we just scroll TikTok. That's all we do. Like like that's what we view as our hardship is people attacking us on TikTok. Like you know, and so I think it's okay, not not just okay. I think it's it's holy to grieve what is happening 100%. to, 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 to dwell on and think about those that are happening oh, to support course. those who, both sides who are, who are suffering. But yes, we do need to pray though for Hamas. We need to pray for Israel because both of them need to turn and repent, which right. is what the Bible says. Right. And just as many pe- innocent people are in Gaza right now, as there are in Israel, right? There, there are people that are not part they just of trying Hamas to do their thing, man. that are in Gaza that they just are, are their fleeing thing. for their lives right now uh, because this terrorist group Hamas has, um, infiltrated the Gaza Strip and and is trying to create a war that is going to decimate the place where they live, and they didn't want any part of it, you know. And and there's been reports of that going on all the time. And I'm not saying that oh well, you know, they're not wrong because you know they've they you know 
they're just innocent in this whole thing. Well, that, you know, there, there's an argument to be made with the Gaza and everything that goes on in Gaza that has happened between them and Israel over the years. Yep. But the thing is, is that there's people that are, are dying on both sides that are innocent. That's what I want to point to that, that we should be praying for those, uh, for protection of the innocent. Um, we should be grieving, like you were saying, grieving the, the losses of the innocent and grieving the hearts of all the people that are in this conflict right now. So to, to kind of go from that to, to where what we're, do we do? where we're at. Yeah. What do, what do we do now? Right. So we, we should be praying for them. Okay. I get that. But, but is this the end, you know, is this, is this the end times has, has the end times already come? Um, or is this actually the end? Are we drawing closer than I, I'm kind of scared. Like, like, I don't know if I'm gonna have to go through the tribulation or hopefully the rapture happens. So I don't have to go through anything mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, what, what, what happens if, 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 if you know, you know, talk, there's talk of if Israel goes into the, to the Gaza Strip, then Iran's going to war with Israel. And if Iran goes to war with Israel, then America's getting involved. And if we get involved with Iran, then China's going to get involved and Russia's going to get involved. And there's going to be this World War Three, and we're on the brink of World War Three. And what's going to happen with all this? And and, it, and now you got to go on anxiety meds. We have I have four things that I want you to do right now. Right, one don't let don't worry about tomorrow. Right. So Matthew 6, 25 through 34 says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink or about your body for uh, what you will wear or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worthy, more worthy than they are? Uh, Can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will I eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's okay to watch, but don't, don't, get obsessed over, is this the end? Is this the end? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Today has enough worries. You need to, to just calm. God will take care of you, which leads me to my next point. God is in control. Romans 8, 28 through 39. We know that all the things work together for good for those that love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will then he, uh, how, I'm sorry, how will he not also with him grant us every, uh, grant us everything who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies one, uh, who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all the day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is in control, and God loves us. And whether we live or whether we die, it's all up to God. And God will provide what he wants to provide for us and keep us when he wants to keep us. And that's all we got to worry about. God has got everything in control. He has, he, he's numbered the hairs on our head. He knows the days, the day we're going to take our last breath, the last second he knows. And, and, and he's got control over all that. So don't, don't worry. God's got it in control. And so what are we supposed to do? If we're not going to worry and God's got it all in control and we know we're supposed to pray for Israel and Hamas and the Gaza Strip and all the innocent, uh, what's the thing we need to do? Well, fulfill the Great Commission, right? What we need to focus on now is not so much is this the end, but we should be focused on what are we supposed to be doing now? Going back to the idle hands thing. Mm -hmm. uh, should we just be sitting around waiting for the end going, okay, I got to keep my eye on the news because... Christ might be coming at any minute and I'm just going to stay here and I'm not going to look away and I'm not going to do anything else but wait for Christ. No. That's paralyzing. Don't like, keep no. your hands at idle. Fulfill the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now you can interpret that to the end of whatever age you want to, but we are still called to go and make disciples, teaching them everything that Christ has taught us through various disciples all the way back to the original disciples. Uh, we are to go and take the gospel as far as we can take it as God has placed people and, and uh, circumstances in our lives. We should be trying to reach those people during this time. And this should be a wake-up call, these wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and everything going on because we are not promised tomorrow. So why would we wait and why would we risk somebody else's salvation by, by not sharing the gospel with them? Why would we risk that the, they may spend eternity away from God? If, if a situation presents itself, we should be sharing the gospel with them. We should be fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples, and preparing people. Uh, lastly, we should be following the Lord's commandments, right? The, the two greatest commandments, I talk about this all the time, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, an expert of the law, asked this question to test him, Teacher, which command is the law in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So you want to know what you need to do? Fulfill the great command, uh, commission. And love the snot out of the Lord and love the snot out of the people. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what our focus should be on. Not when the when the rapture is going to happen, but what will we will we be considered good and faithful servants when we do meet the Lord? Will he say, You I've given you two talents and you've turned it into four? Or will we be that that foolish steward who took the one talent and buried it and did nothing with it? And he took that one talent and gave it to the one with ten. What will we do? Time for Fun Facts with Fiddler. <laughs> Sorry, my dude. That was kind of I a said, long episode, well, bro. It's also, there's very rare times where I'm at the end of the episode, I'm like, 
I got nothing else to say, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just sitting here going, pre- keep preaching. You know, keep preaching. You know, a month sitting around. I yawned around. a few times because, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep the last well, couple it, nights and it's of nights because of a baby. It's 9.15 p.m. at night. So. That's but, true. But, you know, uh, it's a great time, and it's great to be able to share these things. But you know what else is great? What else is great? Sharing Fuller. my fun there facts with you like, I feel like you're teeing me up, so I should lean into this. My brain needs to wake up. Best part of waking up no. <laughs> is not having folders in your cup. That's what happens when you drink decaf. You're not awake. Anyways, uh, lacanophobia is the fear of vegetables. Oh, what? <laughs> lacanophobia is the fear of vegetables. The what? word originates from the Greek lacno, vegetables, and phobias, fear of or aversion. This may be one of the funniest facts that sounds like we're just making it up, but uh, there is actually a medical diagnosis for the fear of veggies. I'm calling bull crap on this In one. In 2009, a woman was diagnosed with this condition. However, since she had a baby to care for, she had to overcome her phobia. Yeah, no, see, this is called you don't like it, and it's called suck it up, buttercup. That's what that's called. Mom, it's a real fear. It's I've been diagnosed with lactophobia. I, I'm calling bull crap. Uh, well, you, you know. I'm it, calling bull crap. Listen, you can fact check me. Oh, you can fact oh, check it. I believe that maybe she thought she was terrified of uh, vegetables. Bob and Larry are scary. <laughs> like, hi there, boys and girls. Ah, like, how are you so petch? Uh, or here's the other thing: who hurt you when you were a kid? <laughs> And with what? Did the vegetable touch you here or here? <laughs> like, but seriously, like, I'm just imagining this lady walking through Martin's and having a panic attack. Because at Martin's, you got to go through all the fruit and veggies before you get to the next aisle. Oh, oh, you can't go through oh. You have to go through yeah. it. It's not like Wally World where you could skip it. It's like, uh, hey, we're going to go to the haunted house. It's the Isle of Vegetables. <laughs> And I don't want to make fun of anyone's <laughs> condition, but I yeah, am. No, yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty funny condition. That's a really Anyways. funny thing. But you know what else is funny? What's that? That people sir? have been listening to this podcast for so long now, and they have not left us a rating or review, <gasps> and have not joined the Facebook group community. Now, sometimes I will say this: sometimes Fuller and I disappear in that Facebook community for a yeah. few days or a week because four either months. we're sick or sometimes we're like we got none to add. But so for so many of you guys who are active participants in that Facebook group, we want to say thank you for continuing these. Conversations conversations for sharing your burdens for sharing your heartaches i know a lot of you guys have been able to make a lot of fun connections inside of that facebook group so if you have not yet make sure you check us over on the facebook group and if you haven't already checked this out on youtube go to youtube right now real talk christian podcast hit that subscribe button and that bell notification so when we're on you know and just like always if there's an episode you're curious that we talked about someone just asked us about this if we have an archive and the answer is yes, yes. go to realtalkrussianpodcast.com you can find all of our contact information there including a search feature where you can search all of our episodes but if there's an episode you want us to talk about feel free to send us an email to let us know about it again we love you guys we're thankful that you're here week in and week out but until next time take it easy